And so in this series, brick by brick, we are building each week with Jesus as the cornerstone. And we're looking at rock stories every week. And I got to tell you, I'm really excited to preach this one because I've wanted to preach this passage for a long time. And I've never preached a sermon from this text until today. And it's, it's kind of an obscure text, to be honest with you. Even if you've grown up in church, I would almost wager that you've never heard a sermon from this story in the Bible. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 7 is where we're going to begin. We'll spend our, all our time there today. The verse I want to get to is verse 12. But in order to get to verse 12, I got to give you verses 2 through 11 because it really sets it up. So if you have your Bible, you can find your way there. If you don't, we'll put the words on the screen so we can follow along together. And I always encourage you to, to bring a Bible to church so you can know what we're looking at. Or if you don't use a, a leather Bible with pages, you can use the Bible app. And that's a great way to always have God's word with you. Uh, it's not more sacred if it's you know a leather Bible with pages or a digital Bible on your phone. What matters is that you're reading it and getting it in your heart and getting it in your soul. So 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2, it's a lot of reading, so buckle up, all right? A long time passed, it was 20 years, from the time the ark came to reside in Kiriath-Jerim, and all the house of Israel mourned because of the Lord. So the ark it's talking about is the ark of the covenant. That's the ark that the children of Israel carried in the wilderness. It had in it the tablets from the Ten Commandments. It had in it the rod of Jesse's staff. It had in it the man, that's the ark it's talking about. And you can find out why it was there if you read earlier chapters starting in Samuel 4. It says, then Samuel told the whole house of Israel, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then remove the foreign gods and the Asheroth from among you. Direct your hearts back to the Lord and serve him only. Then he will deliver you from the control of the Philistines so the Israelites removed the Baals and the Asherahs and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, bring all Israel together at Mizpah and I'll pray to the Lord on your behalf. So they came together at Mizpah, drew water, poured it out in the Lord's presence. This was a sacrifice they were making. You got to remember they're in a desert, water's valuable. So they pour this out. It's keeping with a treaty and customs of the day. It says, on that day, they fasted there and said, we've sinned against the Lord. And then Samuel judged the Israelites at Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mizpah, the Philistine lords came up against Israel. So just keep this in mind. Picture that Israelites have gathered. They're having a worship service. They've gathered to worship. But the Philistines see all these Israelites gathered. They think that they're gathering for war. So... When the Israelites see that the Philistines are coming against them, they tell Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us that he may deliver us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel, he took a lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel and the Lord answered him. And while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines approached to attack Israel. But that day, the Lord thundered against the Philistines and threw them into panic. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, and struck them down as far as a point below Bethkar. This is the verse I want to get to. It says, Then Samuel took a stone, and he placed it 
between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer. He said, the Lord has helped us this far. Now, 1 Samuel, if you don't know, it's a pivotal book. It's pivotal literally because it serves as a transition point in Israel's history. Up to this point, the nation of Israel, not really a nation, this group of people, they had been ruled by judges. Judges were leaders that God would raise up to deliver them whenever they had a trial or conflict or difficulty. Samson was one of these judges. There's other judges you read about in scripture. Well, Samuel, he serves as a person to transition them from judge leadership to kingship. I did a series a long time ago, like seven years ago, called Kingmaker. That's what Samuel was. He anointed King Saul. He anointed King David. He was the kingmaker of the day. And it's in this pivotal book that I want to point out to you a rock. And this rock that I want to highlight comes after a pivotal moment. God has just delivered the Israelites from a major struggle from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel wants to memorialize this moment with the rock he calls Ebenezer. You might not have known that Ebenezer is a Bible word. You thought it was just Ebenezer Scrooge from the Christmas Carol, but it's found in the Bible. It only appears in the Bible three times, all connected to this story. When I was a kid, I grew up in a church. We used to sing a hymn like we sang today. It had this line that said, now I raise my Ebenezer. I was like, I don't know what your Ebenezer is, but don't raise it anywhere near me because it sounds weird, but it's a Bible word. It means stone of help. That's, it's, it's this help stone. God helped them. So he takes this stone, sets it up and said, this is the stone of help. It's our Ebenezer. And I wanna use this text today to talk to you about defining moments. Defining moments. That's the title of my message. I always encourage you to take notes because there's something about writing down what you're receiving that's gonna help you remember it beyond just getting a message in your heart and then you get into a hardship. You're like, what did that pastor say again? I think there was something I was supposed to do. So I wanna encourage you, you know, find a pen and paper, take out your phone, take some notes. I believe God's gonna use this to help you today. Have you ever had a defining moment in your life? I'm sure most of us had. Maybe uh, the defining moment for you is when you knew you met the person you were supposed to marry. Has that ever happened to anybody? If you're married, you better raise your hand. Otherwise, it's gonna be awkward on the ride home. Uh, defining moments can happen lots of different places. You know, there's maybe the defining moment in your life is when you walked across that stage and you got your diploma, you're like, this is it. I accomplished something. Maybe you're the first person uh, in your life, to, whether it's graduate high school or graduate from college or get your doctorate, I'm sure it was an accomplishment. There's other defining moments, right? There's moments where uh, maybe it's you landed that big opportunity, you closed that deal. The other thing I would say is not every defining moment is a positive moment. Sometimes defining moments can be painful. There's, there's some moments that have defined our lives where it's a loss that we experienced or a crisis that we made it through. All of these are defining moments. When I think about the defining moments of my life, Every one of those moments is matched with a place. 
really, I, I couldn't even begin to talk to you about the defining moments of my life and all the stories and tell you about the experiences without first telling you about the settings attached to those moments. Like I remember when I first met Marissa, my wife, it's a defining moment. We met at the Super 8 Motel. It's not as scandalous as it sounds, I promise, but <laughs> she worked there. And I remember walking into the lobby, it's a long story. I remember walking into the lobby and she was wearing this yellow shirt. She also wore bib overalls, that's a different story. I'm never gonna let her forget that. But I remember walking in and I remember the, the lobby and, and you know the, the, the smallness of it and its age at this place where we were. I can remember when we got married, the day we married. I remember the church, I remember the carpet. I remember when they opened the doors and she began to walk through. And so funny to me, I'll never forget this because I remember they opened and she's walking down the aisle and she's got these tears streaming down her face. And my thought was, she is having second thoughts right now. She doesn't wanna do this. She is thinking in her mind, how do I get out of this? I'm already walking down the aisle, but so far it's worked out. So. Uh, I remember that moment. I remember the scenery, I remember the songs. I remember the moment that God called me to ministry. I was living in France, I was 17. I was in this little studio apartment. And when I say little, like it was not a one bedroom apartment, it was a studio apartment. The, the whole, my living room now is bigger than this apartment was. And it had yellow tile floor, it had blue shelving, I had this ugly blue futon, which was also my bed. And I remember that was the room where I heard God's voice and he, he called me to ministry. It's, it's hard to separate the moments from the settings. And if you really wanna understand the moment, you have to understand the setting. And that's why I had to give you all of that context on that verse, just to get to that verse 12, because to really understand this moment, I need to set it up for you. Up until this point, things have not been going well for Israel. For years, they've been in decline. They've been suffering harassment from their Philistine neighbors. Worse than that, they have rejected God. They have turned away from God, gone after idols. That's the Baals and the Asteros. It's the false gods that other surrounding nations were worshiping. And for two decades, they've been in this languishing cycle. Now Samuel, who was not a soldier in this nation that did not have a king, God raised him up to be a prophet and a judge to call this nation back to God. That's what a defining moment is. It's a turning point in your life. It's a decision that has a profound impact on your future. And for the Israelites, what I want you to see is that this moment changed everything. I don't know if you noticed it in the text, we can put it back up there if you want, but it says for 20 years, 20 years they've been in this state. For 20 years, the Bible doesn't tell us about any ministry that took place doesn't tell us about any miracles that happened. It doesn't tell us about other conflicts or other battles. It, it doesn't tell us about celebrations they had or festivals. And I'm not saying 
they didn't have those things. I'm saying that for 20 years, nothing that happened compared to this moment. This moment was significant. I'm trying to help you see that one moment can change everything. And it's within the setting of this scripture that I believe God wants to use some things to build your faith and for you to put into practice in your life. And the first principle I wanna teach you is to mark your miracles. Mark your miracles. If you're taking notes, put this in your phone, write it down in your notepad, tattoo it on your arm, mark your miracles. Mark your miracles. Our brain is wired to remember moments. That's kind of what we see here, right? 20 years, nothing. They remembered this, this moment, this pivotal moment. And it's interesting how sociologists and psychologists have studied this phenomenon. Like if you go to Disneyland, it's proven that the majority of your time is going to be spent waiting in line. Like if you were to chronicle your time there minute by minute, very few moments on the rides, majority of the time waiting for the ride. But that's not how we remember Disneyland. What we remember are the moments. We remember the price gouging of that $25 churro. That was a good churro, but the pain of that sticks out to us. The, the, we remember the thrill and the rush of going down Splash Mountain and seeing that goofy photo. We remember that moment. We don't remember the lines, we remember the moments, but the point I'm trying to illustrate is it's interesting how much we actually don't remember. Again, 20 years, one moment. Maybe this has happened to you. Your phone buzzes. Did you get a text message? No, you got a notification. What was it? You have a new memory. It's for iPhone users. Android, you'll just have to play along. You have a new memory. I don't know if this happened to you. You, you get this notification and you, you click on it and it says, hey, remember how last year you went to the pumpkin patch around this time? Well, believe it or not, the last several years you've gone to the pumpkin patch around this time and someone in Cupertino took it upon themselves to build an algorithm that is going to take the moments you chronicled on your phone and put it into heavy-handed emotional music. And you click on that and you watch it. And I don't know if this happened to you. Like I'm watching this, I'm like, I am in my feelings right now. I'm gonna cry. This is, I'm sending it to Marissa. I'm posting it on Instagram. Like I've edited this great video. This is amazing. Look at this memory. And then there's usually like one picture in there that doesn't fit. You're like, why did you post a picture of me in my orange sweater with a green beanie? Oh, I'm not a pumpkin, that's hurtful. Why did you do that to me, Apple? These moments, but my reaction when this happens 99% of the time is, I don't remember that. Like, I, I, I remember it now that you're shown to, but I wasn't thinking about that. It says you have a new memory, but it's really not a memory if I had to be reminded of it. That's what I'm trying to help you see. We don't need to be reminded of the stuff that we remember. And if that happens with photos of our family trips, I wonder 
how many things are there that God has done for us that we fail to recall? See, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of us that forget to mark down the moments of God's faithfulness. And what I found is that a lot of us are pretty good about writing down our prayer requests, not so good at writing down our prayers answered. I don't mean on the connection card that we ask you to fill out, like you can do that on there, yes. I mean in your life. A lot of us right now, we know the stuff that we need from God. We know the stuff that we want from God. But do we remember the stuff that God has already answered? You are at the school you prayed to get into. You are working in the job you prayed that you would get accepted, that you would get offered. You are yelling at the child that you prayed for. Is this getting too real right now? <laughs> a lot of us, we, we remember the problems. We don't always put down the place of God's provision. And it's easy to be grateful for the miracle in a moment. But I think the reason a lot of us have a hard time counting our blessings is because we've never taken the time to mark down our miracles. And just very practically, if you only get one thing from this message, this would be something that I would ask you to put into practice, is to begin to write down the miracles in your life that God has done for you. You don't need an Ebenezer stone. Just take out your iPhone. Make that your Ebenezer. And you pull up a note and you begin to drop down. I remember when God healed my dad. I remember when I didn't know how I was gonna pay my bills and somebody blessed me with the money that I needed to pay my bills. I, I remember when my car broke down and I didn't know what I was gonna do, but God made a way for my car to get fixed. I, I remember that. I remember when I was praying for a kid and we had tried to have a kid for a long time. It didn't seem like we could have a kid. And then we had a kid. I remember that miracle. I, I remember when we were praying to get into that place and the offer was accepted. I, I, I remember when my friend accepted Jesus, who I had been praying for. I remember when my grandpa made the decision to follow Jesus. You got to mark down your miracles. It's really hard to talk someone out of trusting God when they've built a list of God's faithfulness. And some of the times when you feel like, God, are you there? God, God do you know what's going on? God, can you see what's happening? You just need to pull out that list on your phone and be like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I, I, I've got a new memory. I, I remember that. You need to mark your miracles but the second thing I want to tell you is you also have to map your milestones. You got to mark your miracles, but you got to map your milestones. You might think, aren't those the, the same thing? No. One is to be a reminder. The other is to be a reference point. I want to look at this verse again. I'll show it to you. Verse 12 says, Then Samuel took a stone, placed it between Mizpah and Shen, and named it Ebenezer. He said, The Lord has helped us this far. 
he is defining a boundary and he is designating a place of progress. The idea is that God has been helping Israel all along. He hasn't forgotten about them. He hasn't abandoned them. He hasn't neglected them or forsaken them. He has been their helper all along the way and he still is their helper. What's funny is that the Israelites would not have seen it this way. What would they have seen? Well, all that they can remember is it's been 20 years of misery, 20 years of languishing, 20 years of being in this cycle. And that was part of the problem because they had stepped outside of a boundary. Now, I don't mean a physical boundary as much as I mean a spiritual boundary. I told you they had gone after other gods. They had gone after idol worship. They had rejected God. This was a chronic problem, but there was another incident that you need to know about. It's in 1 Samuel chapter four. You can read it for yourself. I won't take time to go there today, but in 1 Samuel chapter four, we don't have the context that says that they went to the battle lines to fight the Philistines. There's no instruction from God, no commandment from God, no retaliation of attack to the Philistines. It's just, this is where it starts. And what happens, they go to battle, they face a big defeat. Like what happened? We thought we were the people of God. God, you didn't help us. God, we lost in this moment. So they get this idea. So I know what the problem is. God was not with us. So they decide, let's take the ark, the ark of the covenant, this ark that had special instructions, this ark that was supposed to be carried a certain way, carried by certain people, uh, kept in a certain place. They took this ark and took it to the battle line. This is where that whole Indiana Jones line comes from where they took the ark into the battle. It comes from this story. The way they talk about Indiana Jones is not how it happened in the Bible. They took this ark of the covenant to the battle line and what happened? They didn't win. They suffered a defeat and it was even worse than the first time. The first time 4,000 men died. The second time the Bible calls it a slaughter. It says 30,000 Israelites died and they lost the ark. Why is that? Well, this is going to mess up some of the songs we sing. But the problem is whenever we step outside of a boundary and we wonder why God isn't fighting our battles, get this, God doesn't fight your battles. He fights his battles. God is not going to bless a battle that he has not called you to fight. And so many times we're stepping out trying to solve this problem that God has not called us to. You need to know the boundary lines that God has set for you. You cannot be stepping out into places that he hasn't called you to. And I'm not talking about places physically. I mean, in your life, you need to know where you're supposed to invest your energy and your effort. You need to know what relationships you are called to lean into. You need to know what causes you are supposed to support. And I, I talk to a lot of people all the time where they are talking about, man, I've got all this stuff going on in my life and I'm feeling pulled in so many different directions. And, you know, they're, they're all good things. And I got this going on and I got this going on, but I'm feeling so tired. But, you know, it's, it's, it's all good things though. Can I tell you, even though it's a good thing, it's not necessarily a God thing. And you gotta be mindful that you're staying in the place that God has marked out for you, that you're staying in the place 
of victory, that you're staying in the place of his covering, that you're not getting outside of where God has graced you. So a bound, there's a boundary, that's a milestone, but it's also a benchmark. It's a method of measurement because it shows you how far you've come and it helps you determine how close you are to your destination. That's why I thought it was interesting. Notice verse 12, it says that Samuel took a stone and he placed it between Mizpah and Shen. He placed it at the midpoint to show that there was more in front of them. That's what our year-end offering is, by the way. It really is a milestone to say, God has brought us this far. Look at all that God has done. Because of generosity, we've been able to help these families. We've been able to meet these needs. We've been able to reach these people. We've been able to baptize these people. We've seen this many people saved. We've given away this many Bibles. We've able to reach these countries. We're able to build these buildings. We're able to do all of that because God has helped us this far. But the other side is we're not done yet. There's more that's in front of us. There are more people to reach. There are more buildings to build. There are more souls to be saved. There are more Bibles to be read and given to people. There are more people to be baptized. And what I don't want is for any of us to close out the year without thanking God for all that he's brought us through and also expecting and believing that the best is yet to come. There's more in front of us. And that's really what I want to get to because as great as this moment was, and it was a monumental moment, it would not be the end of Israel's struggles. In fact, as I was studying this week, I read one theologian. He said this about this miracle. He said, really, this miracle moment was only a minor victory. When you think about it, in the scheme of things, for First Samuel, if you read on, and it's a great book to read, lots of, you know, action, drama, blood, there's a lot in there. But if you read through First Samuel, you see that the nation of Israel, they were going to have more problems. They would have more battles. I mean, just for, you know, spoiler alert, Goliath is part of the book of First Samuel. There's a lot more problems that they have to face, a lot more that's in front of them. And that's why the most significant thing about this story is what I wanted to share with you because it reminds me that even minor victories are monumental. That's the word that some of you need to grab hold of today. See, Samuel raising this stone of help was in no way a declaration that the final victory had been won. But he knew that this victory, though minor, was still worth celebrating. Because even though it wasn't the end, for the Israelites, it marked a new beginning. And there are some people here, you need to grab hold of this because God has been working in your life. He's been moving in your life. And you are seeing some progress that you've yet to celebrate because, well, in the scheme of things, it seems so insignificant. You're thinking about, you know, I've, 
tried to read my Bible this year. I'm doing the Bible in a year plan. And all I can think about is I am 86 days behind in my reading plan. There is no way I'm gonna get it done. And yet, you've read through half the Bible this year. You need to celebrate that. There, there's some of you, you've been trying to take steps in this walk of faith. You've been putting these messages into practice in your life. You've been thinking, okay, I know I need to watch my words and what's coming out of my life, my mouth, because I'm steering my life with that. So like, okay, I'm not gonna complain. I'm not gonna talk bad about people. I'm not gonna tear myself down with my words. You've been doing that and you made it five days. And then on the sixth day, you're like, I'm just tearing people down again. I'm just grumbling and complaining again. I don't even know why I, try. I can't seem to get this right. And you're failing to recognize that you made it five days. You failed to recognize that you caught yourself, that you actually have a heart change, that, that you are making some decisions. There, there's some of you, you've been trying to break free from some addictions in your life. Could be gambling, could be porn, could be drinking, any addiction. You've been trying to take some steps and you're like, oh man, I can't even make it a week. Fall back in the same patterns, fall back into the same problems. And you're not stopping to celebrate the fact that you made it a week. See, minor victories can be monumental because they're a sign of change. It's the mark of a new beginning. And I needed you to see this because this is really the defining moment here. Remember how I said Ebenezer, it's, it's only used three times in scripture. It's all related to this story. Well, the first time it's used was 20 years earlier. That moment that set them on a trajectory of decline for the next 20 years. It was when they went out to fight a battle that they never should have fought in a place they never should have been to suffer a loss they shouldn't have had to suffer. They were several miles north of this place where they're at now, but the place where they were the first time where they lost, you wanna know the name of that place? It's Ebenezer. It's a different place, same name. Why is that? Because Samuel deliberately reapplied an old name to a new moment to give it new meaning. For the last 20 years, whenever they heard the name Ebenezer, all they could think about, that's where I failed. That's where I messed up. That's where I stepped outside the boundary. That's where we miss God. That's my greatest failure. Now, Samuel says, when you think of Ebenezer, I don't want you to think about defeat. I want you to remember that God helped us here. He helped us to this point. What I'm trying to help you see is that you can define your moments. You can define your moments. This is so important because we all have an enemy, not the Philistines, we have a spiritual enemy that is trying to cause you to walk away from your faith, to abandon your beliefs. Why? He, he wants to destroy your life. How does he do it? With a defining moment. He, he, he reminds you of a place where you walked away from God. 
where you made a choice that you shouldn't have made. Maybe you think, man, I've, I've done something that God can't forgive because he is out to sabotage your soul through a defining moment. But you know, God wants to draw you in. He wants to draw you back. You know how he does it? Defining moment. A defining moment, a moment just like this one. A moment where you make a decisive, you draw a line. You say, I'm not going back to that. It's a defining moment. Think about this. The cross was a symbol, a symbol of death, a symbol of defeat, a symbol of punishment. And God took that symbol and said, I'm gonna create a defining moment where what used to be death is now victory. Where what used to represent punishment now brings peace. God wants to take the moments in your life that you've looked at as a failure and give you new meaning. You don't, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to dwell on that defeat. You don't have to have that as the headline over your life. I wanted to take this moment that we would just take 30 seconds to respond to God. For that, that place that has looked like a failure, that you could give it new meaning. For that place that has looked like defeat, that you could say, not anymore. I'm defining this moment. I'm gonna mark my miracles. I'm gonna map out my milestones. I'm gonna recognize that even the minor victories can be monumental.